Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Sea Glass Blue by Mel Forbes on AO3. Rating General Audiences. Chapter 6. The one long straight road leading into and out of this desolate town gets tired after one or two drives. When she's not in his passenger seat, not fiddling with the radio when an advertisement comes on, his only stimulation is the sway of the long grasses on the sides of the road, the dips of the pines in the wind, the cloudless but darkening sky above him, the nailed-on, hand-painted signs depicting who lives down each driveway. It's almost a joy when he finally passes the local high school, for they have a lettered sign out front, and he can actually read words for once. A football field, two big white field goals, grass trimmed properly, one or two cars in the lot, because it's after hours. He's been tasked with finding them dinner, and in order to do so, he took the cottage's phone book out to the car with him, then used his cell phone to call from there. Given that it's not the proper season, only one lobster pound nearby is open. But thankfully, they're within reasonable distance, not hours away like some of the places he tried and failed to call. When they drove through Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, she mentioned that it wouldn't be a trip to Maine without a lobster dinner. This, at least he can do right. While he looked up at her in the bedroom, he thought she would yell, but that assumption was just another testament to how poorly he knows her. No, of course she didn't yell, for she doesn't talk about her feelings. Instead, she left and went out to the porch, down the steps to the beach, and she sat down there for a long time, not even seeming to cry. And though he could have followed her, he didn't, for he'd been the one to violate her, the one to hurt her. And once she came back in, she didn't say anything, didn't act as if she was angry. Instead, just subdued herself and went along with whatever he said trying not to take up too much space, turning up her lips slightly whenever he sought out emotions, betrayed by her vestige. Of course, she isn't openly angry. Of course she doesn't want to talk about it. When he passes the grocery store from yesterday, he grimaces. After they put their bags in the back seat, she got into the car and was still smiling. They went to a lighthouse together. She held his hand. If he were to sit in the passenger seat, he would have found the cushions smelling like her. Her cassettes are in the console, her little package of tissues in the glove box. He kissed her forehead in bed last night. She wore a dress today, and he never even told her how beautiful she looked, not even in a small and bashful way, not even awkwardly. He never even said good morning. When he pulls into the lobster pound, he's one of three cars there. The place's yellow sign lit up to say, yes, we're open, and the decor flaunting buoys on driftwood walls appear out back where the boats can dock. If he wants to, he can walk down to the rocky shore of this inlet and find broken-off pieces of crab traps, like the ones he and his sister found as children. A bait bag was a pocket to carry things home in. Finding a snail shell without someone in it was finding a treasure. When he walks inside of the pound, there's a pair of people sitting at one of the many tables in the restaurant, but the rest of the place is empty. He follows signs to where he can order at the kitchen, then stutters through the menu. Want a beer while you wait? The man taking his order asks, and he shakes his head, for he needs to drive back, and he doesn't know if he can drink beer that fast anyway. In that case, the man offers, we have a gift shop across the street. Got t-shirts and a bunch of those popular stuffed animals. 
So Mulder walks out, order slip in hand. The name he gives was Mark because Fox doesn't fare well for an order pickup and stares down the gift shop. A ramshackle, bit bigger than shed, with a neon open sign hanging up. Sure enough, beanie babies line the windowsill, and when he walks in, bells on the door ring out his entrance, and the older woman at the cash box blinks awake. You startled me, she brushes off, which Mulder ignores. If they were on a case, he would look at this place differently. He would drag Scully in here, and he would hold up shirts printed with lobster comics and call them funny, maybe even buy one just to spite her. When he found a baseball cap with a dirty sea pun on it, he would point it out to her and make her roll her eyes. Of course, they would question the shop owner, and he would bring up one of his integral points within the case, one that she, of course, contested when he first brought it up. And the shop owner would either agree with Mulder's statements, making Scully raise her eyebrows in annoyance, or disagree, making Scully give Mulder an I-told-you-so look. Then, as they left, Mulder would say he didn't understand the Beanie Baby's craze, and Scully would mention how her niece, he doesn't even know she has a niece, absolutely loves them, how it was so fun to give her one last Christmas and watch her face light up. The cubbyholes of stuffed animals in the back of the store flaunt handwritten signs remarking how many retired models they have in stock. There are pastel-colored rabbits, horses with fluffy manes, donkeys and pigs and frogs and baby chicks, and he wishes Scully were here to say something. He wishes she could see this and say what she thinks about it. But then he sees a calico cat and it reminds him of her for reasons he can't even begin to describe. So he picks it up to purchase it. The thing small enough to fit easily in his hand. Little thread whiskers, hang tag brushing his palm. For your kid, the cashier asks as she handwrites him a receipt. My wife, he says reaching into his coat pocket for his wallet. Is she a collector? He passes her a 10. No. Well, she gives him his change, rips off his copy of the receipt, and he ducks out as quickly as he can, unlocking the car and staying the cat down on the passenger seat, heading back inside to wait for his order. When he sits down in the pound to wait, he looks at the receipt before pocketing it, staring too long at the words for reasons he can't pinpoint. Chip the cat. Dollar five. For wife. When he arrives back at the cottage, the sunset is in full bloom above them. Not a cloud in the sky. Warm and buttery colors, her favorite. He knows she must be down at the beach. Wonders if she strayed from there at all since he left. Leaving the tinfoil-wrapped lobster dinners on the kitchen counter, he reaches into the cabinet for chipped floral plates and lobster crackers left in the cottage. He opens every drawer in search of a vase. The roses were an impulse decision, his foot hitting the brakes as he almost passed the grocery store on the way back. He doesn't know how to apologize for her, but he can bring her flowers and hope that they'll make her feel better. Red roses, a dozen of them, and he trims the stems with kitchen scissors, the way his mother taught him to, and he sinks them into the one vase he could find, leaving the flowers on the counter and waiting for her to come back inside. At the grocery store checkout, the cashier asked if these were for someone special, and he said, yes, they're for my wife. And when she asked if it was their anniversary, he said, yes, something like that. Peering out the window, he watches her on the beach, wrapped up in her coat because the day grew cooler. Sitting on one specific rock that he's deemed her own, she would sleep down there if she could. He knows that for certain. Last night, 
she wanted him down there with her during the sunset. But now, he knows she doesn't. So instead, he sits on the couch and stares at his fingernails, reads through the long list of titles on the shelves, puts fire in the wood stove because it's getting cold. And when he's done puttering, his foot hits something beneath the couch. So he looks down to find an old record player shoved under there. A strange kind of storage space. Gently, he crouches down, pulls the thing out, and the only surface free for it is the tiny kitchen table. So he dusts the thing off, sets it down, goes back to the records on the shelf. Like everything else here, the records are old-fashioned and unpopular, blends of classical music and unknown singles. But he recognizes Glenn Miller, so he pulls the record from the sleeve, brings it to the turntable, brushes away dust using the hem of his shirt. By the time she slides open the door to the porch, the house has grown dark for the evening, and he startles because he wasn't expecting her just yet. Hey, she says, sounding indifferent, sounding like she used to, a younger Scully, one of their first cases together, and she's coming into his motel room uninvited to update him on whatever she went off to research. A Scully who works with him, travels with him, but certainly doesn't love him. I thought we might have dinner on the porch. Okay, he says, and the house feels suddenly too warm, and the record is a love song, and he wishes he could disappear, if only for a moment, if only so that she could see the flowers and think, he's apologizing to me, he wishes he hadn't said anything, and he loves me a dozen. If I were to kiss him now, I would hold nothing back. But she stares at their foil-wrapped dinner instead, at two plates and two crackers and two sets of tiny forks set out on the counter. She stares at anything but him. Awkwardly, he passes her her own dinner and dishware, then follows her outside to the table on the porch. Woefully unused in this off-season, dark because the sun set, and he neglected to turn on the living room lights, even most of the kitchen ones. I'll be right back, she tells him, then goes into the house in search of something, and when she comes back, it's with two half-burnt centronella candles for buggy summers and a lighter, placing each on the table and lighting them in the dark, and the light is more orange than any lamp could cast, and when she turns her face, she's illuminated and shadowed in new ways. The arc of her cheekbones, the sharp line of her jaw, the slight and breathtaking slope of her nose. He misses her even though she's only a foot away from him. He's going to miss her every day. He's going to lose her, and he can't even hold on to her now. He can only push her away, can only divide themselves, and give her more reasons to find someone else to spend the rest of her life with. She's better at cracking lobster claws than he is, but she doesn't like the claw meat. Oh, but that's the best part, he insists, and she puts hers onto his plate. She likes the tail better. On the topic of the liver, she bunches up her face, so at least they can agree on something. Little cups of melted butter. He remembers her in a bib when they had barbecue together, and she's still wearing the same dress from before, but snuggled into her cardigan. She cuts a piece of tail and then dips in the butter. The movement so intricate and dainty that he wants to study it, if only for a moment. If it were summer, they'd still have sunlight at this hour, and he would have waited in a long line while ordering their dinner, and she wouldn't need a sweater, and she'd be warm, sun-kissed, jubilant, bigger. She would have gone for a swim in the ocean today, maybe even without clothes on, and he would have followed her because he follows her when she asks him to, because he would hear her laughing at how frigid the water was, and need to feel it for himself. And when they found seashells on the beach, they would store them in a suitcase together, probably putting them in a memento box once they got home. 
only unearthing them again when they next moved houses. There wouldn't be any windowsills, no citronella candles, and no black journals, and no nosebleeds, and no fear. Not of losing their jobs, not of hurting one another, not of death, not of anything. If it were summer, she wouldn't be upset with him, for he would have never given her a reason to be. But when she takes her last bite, he realizes this is a candlelit dinner for his wife. Inside he has a dozen roses for her, and they're eating lobster, an expensive and elegant dish. She married him with gold rings. It's all enough to stop his thoughts from cycling. So he sits back and watches instead, watches how she chews, watches her set her fork down, watches how she folds the old foil around the now empty lobster shell. This is a date, and one with his wife, and a beautiful place no less. So why isn't he thinking of that? Why is he fixated on the summer he won't be able to give her? Because if it's just a fantasy, he knows, then you'll never have to go through the vulnerability of turning it into a reality, and you'll never have your expectations crushed. And you'll never fail her or hurt her because the version of her in your mind is one you can't possibly harm. Thank you for dinner, she says, and it's genuine but detached. Friendly, a pleasantary, and nothing more. You're welcome, he says, taking her dish along with his own, starts to head inside. Mulder, she interrupts, as he reaches the door. So he turns to look at her, and it's so dark that she's just a candlelit face, a bit of ocean-colored fabric now in grayscale, a sweater for warmth because it's April and frigid. Thank you for the flowers. You're welcome, he says, then forces open the door and ducks into the kitchen, the record stalling as it comes to its end, the roses on the counter so brash in color that they look like bloodstains on the walls. Something he knew about her before now but has become uncomfortably acquainted with since arriving in Maine. She can't leave a bed unmade. During their cases, she would always leave motel room beds done up, while his were astray in any way possible. Though he always knew she was tidy, she would make her bed, even when her laundry was in a heap, even when he had her working nonstop for a month straight, even when she neglected all of the other worldly duties. And now, they share a bed made with perfect corners, quilt folded over the top pillow, pillows facing in specific directions, and he feels guilty about pulling back the covers. He doesn't want to destroy anything she's done. He doesn't want to invade. She's brushing her teeth, and he thinks he should go to the couch instead. Claim it's easier on his back or something like that. She deserves a good night's sleep, and he doubts she'll have one if he's there. But then, she's out of the bathroom and crawling into bed. And he's still, because he doesn't know what he's allowed to do now. Only her bedside lamp is on. Once she turns that off, it's time for bed and her actions will determine whether or not he can touch her. Turning out the light, she settles into bed, on her side, faces away from him. He still filled a glass of water for her to take her pills with tonight. Because he put too much wood in the stove, she's wearing silk pajamas in favor of flannel. Out on the counter, there are a dozen roses in a vase she's barely looked at, and he forgot the stupid stuffed cat in the car, and upon remembering it, found himself too embarrassed to actually give it to her so he didn't go out to retrieve it. Figure he'll pocket it and offer it to the first child he sees. It's terrifying how big a queen-sized bed can be when the two people trying to sleep in it huddle at separate edges of the mattress and face away from each other. Scully, I... He cringes at the sound of his voice, at how raspy it is, at how he seems as if he could cry. 
I'm sorry about what I said earlier, he gives. I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have. It's fine, Mulder. She huffs, voice quiet. It isn't, though, he says, and it's a misstep, but he needs to apologize. He needs to do it right. She's quiet. Of course she's quiet. They don't talk about anything. Never have and never will. He's seen it in others before, even mocked it. How they thought a marriage or a child would solve their relationship. How they believed that something monumental and concrete would bind them together eternally and make all the little grievances fade away. But it's not true. It's not true in the least. Instead, he fears how she makes her bed every day, and he buys her stupid stuffed animals she won't like because he doesn't know how to apologize, and he thinks roses can end a fight, and she just won't talk to him. She's never going to talk to him. If he wants to know what she's thinking, he has to rifle through her suitcase and open up her journal, for only in there will he learn what's on her mind. When he asked her to marry him, she wouldn't even say yes. Instead, she asked him to clarify, and then said she didn't need a ring. She's never going to tell him the truth. We need to talk about it, he pushes on, feeling his voice shake. I need to know what went wrong. I need to know. I can't have this conversation right now, she says. And then she pushes back the covers, gets out of the bed, leaves the bedroom before he can even sit up, shutting the door behind her and making his heart pound with anxiety. He knows exactly where she's going. Though it's cold out, she'll head down to the beach and she'll sit there until he falls asleep. A gamble, given what an insomniac he is, but she's stubborn enough to wait for hours, and he already knows she would love to sleep on the beach anyway. And once he's sleeping, she'll sneak back into bed, because she isn't one to stay the night on a couch, and she'll be sure to wake up early so that they won't have to see each other in the morning. And tomorrow, they'll be a few steps behind each other. Friendly, but just friends. Not talking about the big things because they simply don't want to. Or rather, because she simply doesn't want to. So he climbs out of bed, goes to his suitcase for a coat and a spare sweater for her, and he sits on the bedroom floor for a moment, gives her just a little time to herself, some time to think, and then he follows her outside. If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>